Welcome to the KPC Podcast. This week's message is from Dr. Benjamin Williams. At this time, I'd like to invite the, ch- the kids to come up front and join me up here. And we hope we have enough chairs. I can tell y'all are true Presbyterians. You started in the back row. <laughs> Fill up the back row first and then till, there, till you have to move forward. Did you all have a good Thanksgiving? Yeah. Did you have a good Thanksgiving? Yeah. Did you eat too much? No. No? no? Yes. Is there such a thing as eating too much? Especially ice cream, especially ice cream. I actually ate too much one time. I ate too many uh, Oreos. Did you know that if you eat too many Oreos at one time, it makes you sick? It It was a long time before I ever ate any more Oreos, at least three weeks. I want to talk about, we're going to talk about the paradise tree. And, and I'm going to be having, reading some scripture, and I'll sort of explain it for you and for, for the, the grown-ups that are here. And then as we go, bit by bit, we'll start decorating our tree. Uh, but we'll do it bit by bit, because I want to explain to you what, the, what some of these symbols mean. Uh, we won't look at all of them, because we'd be here for hours. And I'm not going to do that to everybody out there. But we'll, let's start, uh, let me hear these words from the prophet John as he's looking at the heavenly Jerusalem in the new creation in the book of Revelation chapter 22. We read, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city. And on either side of the river is the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit producing its fruit each month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. It was called a paradise tree originally, an evergreen decorated with, usually with fruit apples or pears, something like that. And it started originally as a theater prop for telling Bible stories to the simple peasants, the simple people who couldn't read. Now, evergreen trees, we start with an evergreen tree, a cedar or a pine or something like that. They've always been important to the cultures of Northern Europe who were just amazed that they could grow and thrive in the snow and in cold climates. They didn't turn brown and drop their leaves like all the other trees. And so evergreen trees like that came to symbolize the stubbornness of life in the face of danger and death. And then as Christianity started to become accepted among the Celts and the Germans, the Gauls. 
They use the evergreen trees to explain the mystery of eternal life in Christ. Now, by the high Middle Ages, y'all know the Middle Ages when, you know, with knights in armor and damsels in distress and all of that, and castles and things. By the high Middle Ages, touring theater groups went from town to town, and they'd act out Bible stories and various sort of moral stories for the, for, for the amusements. A lot of them were funny or done in a funny way for the amusement and for the edification of the, of the simple people who couldn't read. And whenever they did these plays, they unfolded around a tree, like our tree, that was decorated with um, fruit, usually, oh, it might be apples, or as I said, apples or pears or whatever they had. Um, and it was called the paradise tree. And it, remember, it was so you would remember the tree that was in the Garden of Eden, first of all, the tree in paradise. And you remember what happened at that tree, what Adam and Eve did? What did they do? They picked the fruit and ate the, ate the fruit that, from that tree that they weren't supposed to eat from. And did that get them in trouble with God? Yeah. Did it get us in trouble with God? You bet. You bet. But it also reminded them of the tree in the form of a cross on which Christ died, on which Jesus died, so our sins could be forgiven and our disobedience would be, would be wiped away and, and we'd have a remedy for our sin. And they spoke of that as the tree on, on which Jesus died. But there's also another tree, and we just read about it, the tree in paradise to come, the tree in the new Jerusalem where the tree of life with its 12 fruit that, that are going to nourish the saints for eternal life and for the healing of the nations, of all creation. And the tree, the paradise tree, was such a powerful symbol for explaining the gospel, you know, about our sin, about salvation through Jesus, and our hope for, for eternal life in heaven that Martin Luther, in the time of the Reformation, Martin Luther uh, encouraged Christians to set up paradise trees in their homes. And they would set up these trees with fruit hanging on them to remind them about the fruit in the garden of the past and the garden to come. And they would decorate it with emblems of the faith and then they would hang candles on the branches to represent Jesus, the light of the world. Now, we use electric lights now, but they used real candles. And the Christmas tree as we know it was born. So it's right here for those with eyes to see it. The tree of human sinfulness, the tree of sacrificial redemption and for, for, for our forgiveness, and the tree of everlasting life in the kingdom to come. As we, let, let's join in singing.
We're going to sing two verses of O Christmas Tree. Do you all remember that song? You may know it. You may know it. If you don't, we'll learn it. Let's sing O Christmas Tree. O Christmas Tree, O Christmas Tree, Your leaves are ever faithful. Not only green when summer glows, but in the winter when it snows. Oh, Christmas tree, oh, Christmas tree, your leaves are ever faithful. Oh, Christmas tree, oh, Christmas tree, your faithful leaves will teach me that hope and love and constancy give joy and peace eternally. Oh, Christmas tree, oh, Christmas tree, your faithful leaves will teach me. I should have warned Erin, the Germans don't sing it the same way Americans do, I guess. I'm really grateful she's helping us out with singing these songs. <clears throat> the Apostle Paul says this in his epistle to the Galatians in chapter 3. He says, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It doesn't say to his offsprings as, as if they were many, but it says, and to your offspring, that is to one person who is Christ. Paul says, my point is this, the law, which came 430 years later after Abraham, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to nullify the promise. So why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring would come to whom the promise had been given. The scripture imprisoned all things under the power of sin so that what was promised through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But now that faith has come, we're no longer subject to a chaperone for in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. Amen. Well, you know the story. It all began with a tree and a snake and a piece of fruit, right? Adam and Eve in the, in the garden. Now, that piece of fruit, which is kind of a symbol, is usually pictured sometimes as an apple, sometimes as a pomegranate. Do you like pomegranates? You like pomegranates? Have, have any of you never ever, have, have, has anyone never seen a pomegranate? There's several, that, and I'm sure I'd say a whole bunch of the grown-ups have never seen pomegranates either. We don't usually eat pomegranates. So I used an apple instead. And look, this one, this one already has a bite taken out of it, doesn't it? It's a little too late. Same thing for us. Just like we took that bite out of that fruit. It's the same thing. That one act of disobedience ruptured that kind of pristine, simple 
faithful relationship that people had with God. And you see, we wanted to be like God, but we were already made in the image of God. But because we weren't going to accept that, we, we went against that and we defaced the image of God that was already implanted in our souls. And the cruelest excesses of human history are only the, the grim consequences of that first fatal choice. But God, God knows the end from the beginning, doesn't he? He's so big, he knows the end even before you get there. And so he wasn't surprised, and he had already crafted an impossible plan to redeem us. He'd figured it all out. And so first, he ordained for us a legal code. How about this? Does it, what, what is this? It's the Ten Commandments. It even has ten of them up here. You see the tablets with the Ten Commandments? That legal code is to expose our disobedience for what it is. You know, if you don't have a rule to tell you don't do that, you don't know any better. But we know better now, don't we? God's told us we know better. But even when we still break those, his rules, he, he did something else. He created a system of sacrifice where one creature dies to save another. Now, it's only temporary. It's only temporary. But it created all the conditions so that God could solve our sin problem for good with a sacrifice that wouldn't be just temporary, but would be forever. So as we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, I'm going to ask you on this side to come up and each take a, uh, a decoration, put it on the tree. Let's hear what the Gospel of Matthew says. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, 
She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll bear a son, you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, before all things, he was... He existed before all things, undisturbed in the eternity and glory of the Father and of the Spirit, with thousands and thousands of angels attending to him. And we represent this with the triskelon, the triskelon, which is three circles, three interlocking circles. In this case, it's has a triangle with it as well, and it, re it represents the Trinity, God in his own nature of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's the Triskelon. But for the sake of you and me, the Son of God was willing to leave his place and come down to earth and become a human being like you and me. As a sign that something was coming, something important was getting ready to happen, he placed, well, you know what this is, a star in the sky to, to shine above where the child lay. And so we have a star, which is the star of promise to remind us of the promise of God that he was going to come and send someone to save us. And so at the right time, a young mother gave birth to the one who would come to save us. What is this? Baby. It's a baby in, in a manger. You see the hay poking out in all the corners baby in a manger with a star shining above him. Now I'm all tangled up here. There. Baby in the manger with a star shining above him. It was kind of unlikely how the great and eternal God who fills all space and time at one time would come and lay aside all of his honors and prerogative and glory and enter into our darkness, enter in order to bring light to us. He entered into flesh and blood like ours. He entered into a darkness like ours. And his very name says it all, his very name. His, his, his name was called Jesus. Do you know what Jesus means? Yes. What does it mean? Do you know? No. no. It means God saves. God saves. Yeshua. God saves. 
This is symbolized by this. This design, this is the I, the eta, it looks like an H, and an S. We, uh, the iota, eta, sigma in Greek, or IHS, which are the first three letters of the name Jesus. So whenever you see this symbol, it refers to Jesus. He came to seek and save what was lost. And that's you and me. We're lost. So he came for us. And he still does it. He comes into our darkness today. When you think you can't find a way out, out anymore, and you, when you think you've reached the limit of your strength or your understanding or, any, or your limits of your faith, anything, he's there. He's there waiting to come in to your life and into your situation. He really is Yeshua, Jesus, the God who saves just when you need it most. So as we sing, Thou didst leave thy throne, we'll start over here, and we'll put these decorations on the tree together, okay? All right. And thy kingly crown When they came As to earth for me But in Bethlehem's home There was found no room For thy holy nativity Oh, come, heart, Lord Jesus there is room in my heart for thee. And, okay. Okay, let me tell the next one. Let me explain these now. How about these words from the Gospel of John? Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. That means had him whipped. And the soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they dressed him in a purple robe and came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and would strike him in the face. And Pilate said to the Jews, Here's your king. And they cried out, Away with him, away with him. Crucify him. And Pilate asked them, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. He receives the purple heart for bravery, for personal sacrifice in the fight for freedom. No matter how important his teaching or his healings or his fellowship, they pale in comparison to this, his ultimate task. Jesus accepts the chalice of suffering. You know, the one he, he uh, offered to his disciples on their last night together. And when he gave them the bread and he gave them the cup, 
It was a chalice that he offered to them, a chalice of suffering to share in. He's ridiculed as a king with a crown of fierce thorns. Does that look like you'd want to wear something like that? Mm -mm. These are sharp. These are sharp. But they make fun of him with it. And then he's nailed to a Roman cross on trumped-up charges. Like this. Okay? The Christ is hung on a tree. That's what's signified by this one, the Cairo cross. It starts with a chi, which looks like an X, and which is then tipped on its side so it forms a cross. And then this, it looks kind of like a P, doesn't it? Well, in Greek, that's a row, and it means an R. That's how they write their R's. And the XR is how you write, begin writing the first letters of Christ in Greek. So this represents Christ on the cross, what we call a Cairo cross. Christ on the cross, there for us. It's Christ crucified. It's a... Uh, Foolishness to the Greeks, stumbling blocks to the Jews, but to those who are being saved, it's Christ, the wisdom of God, and Christ, the power of God. So how can one man die and others live? Countless others live because of it. He takes on himself our death. He bears our guilt. He pays our debt. He suffers our punishment in our place. There are lots of different ways to explain it it still remains kind of a mystery to us beyond our understanding. We continue to break God's commandments, whether we want to or mean to or not, but in spite of that, guilt can't destroy us anymore. <coughs> we might still die in this life. <coughs> Pardon me. But death no longer has a, a real claim on us, permanent claim on us. We're reborn into hope. So as we sing the old rugged, a verse of the old rugged cross together, we're going to, let's see, we started from here, then we went here, then we went here, we're back over here. We'll start here and start putting some more decorations on the tree.
Apostle Paul tells this in 1 Corinthians 15. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and He appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve, then to more than five hundred of the brothers at one time. And then He appeared to James, then to all the rest of the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, He appeared to me. For his death, Christ has been raised from the dead, firstfruits of those who have died. For his death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead has also come through a man. For as in Adam all die, so all will be made alive in Christ. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then it is coming those who belong to Christ, and then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed every ruler and every authority and every power. In the darkest moment shone the brightest light. It was the crack of dawn, and that faint glow on the horizon heralded more than just another day. It heralded the glory and hope of the ages. As a few women went looking for a borrowed grave with some aromatic oils, and the tomb they found, but he, he was gone. What had happened to him? Would they ever find him? No. They didn't find him. He found them. He was alive again, forever beyond death. The sacrificial lamb had broken the bonds of death to rise again to a new, essentially different and transcendent life. That's what this is, the Lamb, but he's, wearing, he's waving a banner of victory. The Lamb of God with a banner of victory because he triumphed over death. The cross of suffering and shame has now been crowned with glory and honor. See the cross here? And then uh, the, the cross here, and then the crown. The cross and crown for the, the triumph of the resurrection over death. The cross and crown. And Jesus became the source of new life for everyone who puts their trust in him. And so he sent the Holy Spirit upon them. Sometimes like a dove, sometimes like fire. So that's why our dove is red, like fire, instead of being white like just a dove. The descending dove is the symbol of the Holy Spirit coming upon all those who put their trust in Jesus. These are symbols of Jesus' triumph over the grave and his triumph over death. If Jesus had not risen from the dead, he would have just been one more dead hero who gradually got forgotten, lost in the sea of history. But something happened that day, something so powerful that we part the eons, B.C. and A.D., by his name. And he lives, and he is here 
to bring overwhelming victory into your life and mine. As we sing, Thine is the glory, we'll start over here and we'll put these decorations of the triumph of Christ's resurrection on the tree. Thine is the glory, risen conquering sun. Endless is the victory thou or death hast won. Angels in bright rain, we'll, we'll do the next Roll the stone away, only folded grain clothes where his body lay. Thine is the glory, risen conquering sun. Is the Thou or death hast won. Here's another hymn that was quoted. Is it tangled up? We'll, we'll put that on back in just a minute. Go ahead and sit down. We'll take care of this in a minute. Yeah, there's no rush. Apostle Paul writes, Jesus Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but he rather emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, and being found in human form, he humbled himself to death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There comes a point where we have to leave the pictures and the symbols behind. They could only point us toward this ultimate truth. No mere symbols can convey the victory and the power of His very name. He is Jesus, the God who saves. He's the Christ, the anointed King of the line of David. He's the King above all kings. He's the Savior. He's the victor. These symbols are the letters of His name. All Christian symbolism began with letters. When they, wrote down the, when they wrote down the words of the New Testament, when they were copying it and passing it down, when they were copying it and passing it around, you know, they had to pay someone to write it for them. They had to pay someone to copy of it letter by letter. You paid by letters. And, and so as a result, if you could make abbreviations, you'd save letters, wouldn't you? And if you saved letters, you'd save money. And so they started saving, saving letters by using abbreviations. 
Jesus was the IHS. Christ was the XR. Well, here we have one. This is the this is the chi, the X, the R that looks like a P for Christ. But you see, what do we have here? With an N. That comes from the Greek word Nike. Any of you have Nike sneakers? That's what Nike comes from the Greek, and it means victory. So this is the victorious Christ crucified. Christ crucified victorious, the victor, the triumphant one. And then another sim uh, early symbol is, you know what this is? It's a fish. The fish is an acronym. That means if you take the words Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior, in the Greek, which is Jesus Christos, Huiuteos, Soter, you take the first letters of each of those words and you put them together and it forms the word in Greek, ichthus. Which, and you know what ichthus means? Fish. So the fish reminds us of Jesus Christ, God's Son, our Savior. So whenever you see one of these, and this was a very early symbol because they'd scratch it on the, they'd scratch it with chalk on walls or something to let people know where Christians were going to be meeting for worship at a time when they were being persecuted. And this was the only way they could let people know where to go was the fish. It was secret code. So he is the victorious Savior and King. He's the one who can heal. He's the triumphant one. He is the Savior. But his names also lead us beyond this earth to eternity. He appears to the, to the prophet John one time, and he declares to him, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Now, our alphabet, what does our alphabet start with? A. What's the last letter of our alphabet? And we say A to Z. Well, for the Greeks, in Greek, the last letter of their alphabet is O. A long O. And it's a special O called an omega. And so what they do is they have an alpha, that's the A, and then they have the O, the long O, which is the last letter in the Greek alphabet. This is the Alpha and Omega, and it represents the beginning and the end of the alphabet, the beginning and the end of all things, the beginning and the end of your life and mine. And that has a name. His name is Jesus, and He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and end, the goal and fulfillment of all things. It means, this means, Jesus is, please, Jesus is your destiny. He's your destiny and my destiny. There's no power or circumstance oppressing you. 
that's mightier than this, his name whispered in prayer. His name triumphs over the world. He's God with us in your deepest darkness and your suffering. He's God with us in unimaginable victory and freedom. So as we sing, crown him with many crowns, we're going to put these and the others. I only showed, I only showed you half of the decorations we have, but we're going to try, if we can, to get them all on the tree. Okay? So as we sing, the kids are going to help me finish decorating the tree. Crown him with many crowns. You're welcome to stand. Crown him with many crowns. The lamb upon his throne. Hark how the heavenly anthem drowns. Just grab some. Of him. Go ahead. For on there too and then we'll we'll wrap it up let's we'll stop here we'll finish it later let's remain standing as we join with believe, believers from more than a millennium and a half as we profess our faith in Jesus Christ with the words of the apostles creed what do you believe I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
So let's have a prayer. Lord God, we thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, given to us for the forgiveness of our sins. We don't deserve it, and we never can. Lord, may he take shape within our hearts, and may he be blessed and honored and glorified through us, how we live, what we say, what we do, until one day we gather with you before the throne in glory to, give a, to express our eternal thanks and praise. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for coming up. Let me go back to your families. We'll finish this up afterwards. Thank you for listening to the KPC podcast. For more messages and information, visit kpc.org.